Hello guys, welcome to Monuments, Museums and Mojitos. It's me, Polly. Misa. Hey, it's Nikki. We will be talking about the Olympic Games, as currently the Olympic Games are going in Tokyo. However, I have to make two announcements. First of all is that we are waiting for Koala Mattresses to sponsor our podcast. <laughs> we heard that. <laughs> In Australia, every podcast is sponsored by Koala Mattresses. I've literally never heard of them, but they're just yeah. Australian. Um, look, apparently every podcast in Australia is sponsored by Koala Mattresses. They're these overpriced but super convenient and comfortable mattresses. So Koala Mattresses... Don't say that overpriced or they won't sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> they are the affordable mattresses. Yeah. They're Quality affordable. and um, comfort. Comfort, yeah. And um, yeah, if you want to sponsor us, that would be great. Thanks. Bye. And my second announcement is that I read an article that J-Lo and Ben Affleck are back. Yeah. Yeah, they're back together. <laughs> so after our J-Lo controversy the other, the other week, she is, yeah. she is back in the game. Yeah. Congrats, J-Lo. <laughs> yeah. And she turned 52 and she looks banging. This week, uh, we actually have a very special um, episode for you because we have our very first guest speaker. Woo! Woo! Um, so here I introduce you to another Nikki. <laughs> Welcome to Greece. <laughs> Nikki is actually Greek. So uh, so yes, our uh, uh, wonderful friend from our master's degree and she is uh helping us present some uh olympic facts today because she is a bit of an olympics expert thank you jean for your kind words and thank you for having me guys no thank you we are so excited to have you on the show today and yeah since we're diving down to tokyo we thought we would you know give the nation the attention it deserves with their cocktails and we are drinking a kamikaze cocktail to be honest i'm sure you've seen it floating around on cocktail menus it was born after world war ii in tokyo in a bar of an american military base during the occupation of japan which is uh, yeah a little bit dark so there's an alternative uh theory that uh it just came out of this 70s and is considered a disco classic so yeah whichever one you like okay take that (laughs) I mean, we do like dark heritage and we we also love disco, so... so take your pick. (laughs) By way of introduction, Nikki has recently started working in the new Olympic Museum in Athens, which is a museum dedicated to the Olympics throughout time from the ancient world through to today. So let's start from where it all began. Where did the Games start? The ancient Olympic Games started... In Greece, in ancient Greece, the earliest reliable date that recorded history gives for the birth of the Olympic Games is uh, 776 uh, BC. However, it is believed that the Olympics were also held er earlier than that, but nothing is recorded. Wow, so they've been around for a while. Yes. (laughs) And actually, since prehistoric times... Uh, people had a very strong connection with athletics. So we see that people used to train themselves every day and each city-state had its own educational system based on group training and everyday exercise. Each city-state had its own stadiums, gymnasiums and palestras where young people trained themselves in throwing discus, 
jumping and other heavy sports like pangration or wrestling. Also, the ancient people had their own explanation about how the Olympic Games started in Athens. So the Greek mythology tells us four different versions about why the Olympic Games started and how they started. Okay, can you tell us what they are? I can tell you the most popular myth is that of Pelops, a local hero of Olympia, who competed as king of Pisa. Uh, Pisa was a district close to, to Olympia. And Pelops defeated Inomaus, king of Pisa, and married his daughter Ipodamia. To celebrate his victory, he organized the Olympic Games. And also his uh, wife Ipodamia then organized the Women Olympic Games, <gasps> which were called Irea. They were and Women Olympic Games? Yes. What? Oh, I didn't know Why that. Why did we know about that? Yes, they were. They were dedicated to goddess Ira, wife of Zeus. Oh, Ira, yes. Uh, and unmarried women competed uh, in a foot race there. Wow. Unmarried? Yes, unmarried. Because unmarried women were prohibited, actually, from entering and watching and participating in regular Olympic Games. And, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Pelops, is the Peloponnese named after him? Yes, actually, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You're correct. (laughs) Besides the separate women's game, were there original games, if I can call them that, just competed by men? Yes, only men, only Greek men with what we call today no prior criminal record. Okay, that's good. And they competed and also trained themselves completely naked. Ah, so it's true. Yes, it is true (laughs) that uh, athletes were completely naked and also because they wanted to... um, Because they competed naked, they used to regularly anoint their bodies with olive oil. Oh my god. And uh, they always carry with them before competition, arivalos. It was a small narrow, uh, a small uh, vessel with a narrow neck filled with olive oil for their bodies. Wow. Like a little top up. Yes. Ah. (laughs) Was that so they could look big? Oil their muscles. <laughs> Look at me. That- so you you probably understand why unmarried women could not uh, watch the Olympic Games. Sexy boys. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. That all makes sense. Oh my god, the world is just coming together. That makes sense. Okay. Did they have? Did they give a reason why they competed naked? It was just more yeah, was streamlined, aer- aerodynamic that way. I don't know why. Okay, <laughs> okay. You know what? Bring it back. <laughs> Bring it back. Bring the nutty back. <laughs> let's let's have our athletes in the nutty. Right? <laughs> I'm sure it's very liberating. Mm. So, what did they win then? When they won something, did they win anything? Quotes? So yes. There were no back then. There were no gold, silver, or bronze medals. Mm-hmm. Uh, winners were given an olive wreath uh, named Kotinos in Greek, and of course a hero's welcome back home. Uh, so athletes competed for the glory of their city, 
and they were seen as they were tasked by gods. Also, a small detail, a very interesting detail about Cotinos, uh, it is that Cotinos uh, was always cut from the same old uh, olive tree called Callistephanos Elea uh, from a boy whose parents were both alive with a pair of golden scissors. Also, and another another difference between ancient Olympic Games and uh, modern Olympic Games is that ancient Olympic Games were more like a religious festival than a sporting event. There were throwing and jumping uh, events, but the games were dominated by praying and sacrificing to honor Zeus. Wow, okay. Were they um, always based at Olympia as well, or was it not in Olympia? Yes, they were in Olympia, actually. Olympia, uh, for those that they don't know, is in the western Peloponnese. And the ancient, the archaeological site is dominated by the Temple of Zeus and the Temple of Ira. In front of the Temple of Ira, nowadays, the lighting of the flame is taking place. So it traveled all the way from Olympia to Tokyo? Yes. Oh, okay. But that's a bit fake, isn't it? <laughs> like <how> the <laughs> Olympic flame travels around all countries. <laughs> and it never goes off. <laughs> like, I, come on. It's meant to never go out. Uh, I know, actually, that the technology is uh, so good that the flame actually never goes off. So for the Olympic Games of uh, Sochi, the Olympic flame went underwater. So yes, it never goes out. <laughs> Look, if the Greeks can get the holy flame from the church to their home without um, extinguishing at Easter, I'm sure they can do anything. <laughs> That's a very niche uh, <laughs> practice there, Nikki. I don't know that all of our, our listeners will understand <laughs> that. <laughs> and as usual, Russians will go a bit extra <laughs> and try to get fire underwater. <laughs> I learned um, a few years ago, actually, when I was traveling in the Peloponnese and I went to a place called Nemea, that Nemea had their own games as well um, that were separate to the Olympics, but they still consisted of some various sporting events, I think particularly running. But then upon further research, I learned that there were three other games, sporting games and events other than the Olympics. Yes, this is true. There are more than one olympic type events is that right that happened in the ancient world yes yes in fact there was a plethora of panhellenic games held in different cities in different places in greece uh, during separate occasions so greeks had the pythian games held at delphi the isthmian games held in the sanctuary of the god poseidon and the nemean games held in the sanctuary of zeus in nemea these uh, games were called in Greek Stephanites games oh, okay. because the winners were given a Stephani, a, mm-hmm. a wreath, as a prize. Mm-hmm. However, the great Panathenian games, who were also games held in ancient Greece, they were not n- named called Stephanites, I want uh, They were called Hrimatites. Games because winners were given a Panathenaic amphorae as a prize filled with olive oil. They then poured all over their bodies. (laughs) (laughs) These four games in total, with the games at Olympia, were actually how the ancient Greeks measured time. 
because the Olympic Games were used as a starting point. Yes. And then year one of the, which was year one of the cycle, then the Nemean and Ismithian Games were both held in different months in year two, followed by the Pinthian Games in year three, and then the Nemean and Isthmian Games again in the fourth. So the cycle repeated itself with the Olympic years, and it was also structured so that all athletes could attend each one. Ah, so the four-year cycle isn't a new thing. That's like a... No, it's actually got that's some ancient. deeper roots, yeah. Ah, okay. Also, an interesting fact about the ancient Olympic Games is the truce, the Olympic truce, a truce which in Greek literally means holding of hands, ekihiria is in Greek, was announced before and during uh, Olympic Games so that people can uh, visit and travel safely to Olympia. During the truce, uh, wars were suspended and armies were prohibited from entering Olympia and threatening the games. This is something that doesn't exist now, if I can remember. Um, Olympic Games, after their revival, they happen uh, every four years, except World War One and World War Two. So I think it is a very important thing to revive also the truth. Yeah, that's really interesting. So should we move to the glamour of the modern Olympic Games? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the modern Olympic Games started in Athens again, right? 1896? Yes, in 1896. Actually, during Byzantine era, as you said in the Hagia Sophia podcast, Uh, the religious environment changes from paganism to Christianity Mm. and the Olympic Games stopped. Is it because of the religion? I guess because it was dedicated to Zeus and if no one was... Yes, this is why actually the Byzantine Emperor Theodosius I declared the Olympics as a pagan festival and Mm -hmm. banned them. Okay. Uh, Also during that time the ancient site, the ancient Olympia falls to ruin after many earthquakes and barbarian raids and floods. It will remain under the earth until European travelers and archaeologists drag the ancient site into the light along with the idea of revival. The idea of revival first started after the Greek War of Independence and the modern Greek state saw the Olympic Games as a link between the ancient and modern Greek culture. That's smart. Mm. Uh, contributing also to the development of the national ideology. That's very interesting. However, in other countries, there were people who believed in the Olympic uh, Games. For example, uh, one of them was Pierre de Coubertin. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful accent. Bravo. <laughs> I usually say Pierre de Coubertin, (laughs) (laughs) but okay. Uh, Which was a Greek-French sportsman and educator who believed that sports should be a huge part of a person's education. So he attended a sports meeting in Paris where he announced that he wanted to revive the Olympic Games as an international athletic competition uh, held every, every four years. And at first, only 16 countries participated, right? Yes. Can I have a second of nationalism? Bulgaria was also part. (laughs) (laughs) 
among all the big countries like Australia was part, right? I think Great Britain, mm-hmm. and also Bulgaria was also was there. Well, well done, Bulgaria. Yeah, I don't know, guys. What do you like about the Olympic Games? What's your favorite thing about them? Well, it's not Eurovision, but I guess I can appreciate the communal aspect of it with countries coming together and competing harmoniously. Although I think, um, as we will see, there has been some strifes of tension that have played their way through the Olympics over the years. But yeah, the unity aspect of it. But also, I love to see the ancient world relevant today. I just, it's one of those times where you actually feel patriotic for once, I think. It's a bit like a kind of like the World Cup, but football is problematic for other reasons for me. But with the Olympics, I just feel like you kind of really get behind your country, you get behind your athletes, and you want them to do well because you know that they've dedicated like years of their life to that moment and you want them to achieve. I think not only human achievement, but also human struggle. The meaning of struggle is very important regarding the Olympic Games and their history. For example, we see that during the ancient Olympic Games, what matters most is to be the first. Mm. Now with the modern Olympics, as the founder of the modern Olympics, Pierre de Coubertin said, the most important thing in the, in the Olympic Games is not to win, but to have fought well. That is why, for example, this year, I am seeing that when a Greek athlete loses, people are like, you are the one, you are the best. Mm. So it is not only to be the first and to win, Mm. but just to be there and fight and and struggle for your country and for your home. Yeah, Yeah, I think Olympics, uh, the Olympics approach sport in a more intelligent and sophisticated way than football for example yeah like it's okay to lose and it's okay to just to participate and it doesn't bring this bad nationalism it brings like kind of a positive nationalism yeah where countries are joined up together and and even like the refugee team isn't that such a a nice idea that even if you don't have a nation of your own you can still participate as part of the refugee team I never yeah. heard about it. I didn't know that. Oh, yes. I, wow. yeah, I think you this year. I don't know. Or, or do they normally do it? I'm not sure. I, saw, I saw them this year. Yeah. Wow. I found a lot about it this year, that there's a, yeah. a team of refugees from around the world. So, But yeah. now, when Nikki said Eurovision, there's some interesting <laughs> relationship, I think, between the two competitions. Like, isn't the opening of the Olympic Games a bit like a Eurovision concert? <laughs> <laughs> no, always like super Lots kitsch, a lot of fireworks, a lot of weird stuff happening. <laughs> like the Athenian one was great. I remember Nikki made me watch it for like two hours. I don't know how long was it, but it's in YouTube, guys. You can watch it. <laughs> if you come to the Athens Olympic Museum, you can also see the authentic costumes of the Ooh. opening oh. ceremony. Please do come. Okay, we are going. Nikki, you are invited. <laughs> it was awesome. It was literally like Greece throughout the ages, right? Yes. Like throughout time. Yes. Literally from prehistory to the modern state. Yeah, yeah. The Klepsidra. The, the performance it was called Klepsidra. And it was a parade with figures started from antiquity to date. It's amazing. Oh, really? Check it on YouTube. Yeah, I have to watch that. Yeah. Yeah, it's really amazing. It's really beautiful. Mm. And also I remember the London ones. 
I think they were also great. They went very Britpop with it. But yeah, Spice Girls were there. <laughs> yeah. Double decker buses. It was very. Yeah. Funny. Mary the- Poppins was also yeah. there. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Bean was also yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> D- David Beckham also. Um, I remember also uh, because you know you have a closing ceremony also, mm-hmm. and in the closing ceremony, the next nation presents. They have like a five mm-hmm. ten minute presentation, and I remember Jimmy Page was in Beijing on, in two thousand and eight. Oh. And it was nice. I'm like, wow, Britain presents itself with Jimmy Page playing Whole Water Love. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, we do take our, our uh, musical heritage very seriously. But yeah. yeah. No, I, th- I think they did a good job. Uh, every every nation really does a good job. I mean, obviously. Uh, yeah, so Melbourne also hosted the game. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in 1956 and they actually did something quite profound the melbourne games introduced the practice of athletes marching into the closing ceremonies together not segregated by nation it was an act of true unity coming together yeah so that was melbourne it's my city and Bris Vegas are going to be uh, hosting again soon. Bris so. Vegas 2032. <laughs> Will we be dead by then? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I have to say the Melbourne Games, something I remember from them, the, the Soviet Union won the most gold and overall medals, as I'm sure they did a lot of the times during their reign. Mm. But um, yeah, there was a variety of boycotts for various political reasons. But one thing I remember when I was studying history in high school was the blood in the water water polo game have you guys heard about that was that the hungarian that was the hungarian yeah so so yeah talk about politics making their way into the olympics as well uh the soviet invasion of hungary wasn't taken lightly and the two were actually engaged in armed armed conflict at the time when the games were in melbourne um, and they had a bit of an intense water polo encounter. And yes, this is called the blood in the water match after the Hungarian player Erwin Zador emerged during the last two minutes with blood pouring from his eye after being punched by a Soviet player. I remember seeing it in history class, the video of it, and I think you can see at least images online now, maybe the full video, but it's a bit alarming to be honest. Yeah, I think they made a movie of it. Oh, did they? They may have. But they won, didn't they? Hungary. So it was kind of... um, Oh, there you go. Yeah, you know, just desserts. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, the Soviet Union and Russia have had a lot of controversy over the years. Of course. <laughs> um, the fact that this year at Tokyo, they're, they're not even allowed to compete as Russia. They are the Russian Olympic Committee. Why? Because of the um, doping scandal. <laughs> That's a very long story. We literally need like three podcasts <laughs> analyzing the doping issues of Russia. But basically it was state-sponsored doping and they were found out. They'd been um, actively doping their athletes athletes for years i'm sorry but like did they think they'd get away with that like aren't they tested vigorously as i said we need a three hours podcast to explain it (laughs) (laughs) russia and then doping on the olympics but basically in sochi there were accusations that i mean they were proven that russia was basically changing the urines of their athletes yeah they were being swapped out and their their coaches were feeding them alcohol laced with all kinds of i think uh, that's performance enhancing drugs so i think that's one of the fascinating things about men the olympics all this politics behind it because you have the 1980 olympics in moscow where the capitalist world boycotted them then you have the 84 olympics in los angeles where the communist world boycotted them then you have these famous 
basketball of this famous basketball match between Soviet Union and the USA mm. basketball team in 1972. You have also the the Berlin games in yes. uh, 1936 yeah. with uh, Hitler who wanted to have the games so he could promote his ideology and actually JCO and the the African American athlete won this that year for medals. So yeah, it kind of backfired on the whole yes. Aryan races superior message. Yes. But yeah, he used it as a big kind of propaganda. Also the Black Panther salute in, yeah. Me- in Mexico City, 1968. Um, which again had a lot of controversy, especially in the USA, considering it was two uh, US athletes who came first and second. And they did the, the fists in the air. The and, one with their uh, fists. Yes. Yeah, and then they went home and they faced a lot of backlash back in the USA because yeah. it was seen that they were making a political, you know, black power statement when they said it was just for civil rights and, you know, human rights. That's what they were standing up for. Also the Munich assassination. Yes, yeah. Four years later. <laughs> yeah. God, yeah. every year there's something, isn't there? But um, yeah, Munich was... Uh, well, that was a whole thing with uh, the terrorist attack on, well, a hostage situation of the um, is members of the Israeli team and 11 of the Israeli team were murdered by Palestinian militants uh, who kept them hostage. Uh, I think they were demanding the release of political prisoners, of Palestinian and Arab prisoners. Yeah, and... and um, and as part of these Palestinian criminals, let's say, they were celebrated afterwards in Libya. Yeah. And there was this, the, there is Gaddafi going on there, and it's the Middle East against Israel. It's so complicated and so political. Yeah. Yeah. I think and that and was... I think I think that's the thing about the modern Olympics that's a bit difficult for me. They are so political, mm. and it's literally you have the Cold War where the U.S and the Soviet Union were competing, who will get more medals. For, because I come from an ex-communist countries. Mm. I know that during the communist times for communist countries, the Olympics were a huge event. Mm-hmm. And sports was a, a huge part of the national strategy and narrative for development. But not because communist rulers wanted to create a healthy nation, but because winning medals on the Olympic Games was a way to show how the communist regime is more successful. Yeah. You know? Oh, or we're better than you are. Yes. It's just yes. one of... It's like one-upmanship, isn't yeah. it? Which space up, up, race up, up, and the Olympics and everything else. Like, we're yeah. better than you are. The, the same could be applied also to the US. That's why US also invests so much money in sports and they develop sports so much. It's, it's branding. In communist countries, it was so absurd that in 1988, again... Uh, one second of nationalism but bulgaria was fifth on the olympic games mm. in terms of number of medals okay so, so it was soviet union east germany united states west germany and then it was bulgaria a small country wow. on fifth place with less than nine million citizens had more medals than countries like france italy south korea mm-hmm. great britain i mean it's absurd and this was because it was a national policy you know yeah to develop invest in sports and 20 years later in the beijing olympics bulgaria had only one gold medal wow. so you can see how for 20 years lack of funding mm. 
lack of interest from the government into sports to what it leads like and, and it's and it's normal we'll get it a small country there is also yeah. the argument that it is the the big countries with the big budgets like the richest yeah. countries who can afford for people to train professionally for you know years and years on end yeah. whereas poorer countries can't afford for people like people can't afford to do that that's not a livelihood for them unless they're going to be winning they can be guaranteed to be winning and making their money that way there's no money i think here it's an interesting question from a governmental policy like what what is better to invest a lot of money in professional sports in paying athletes a lot of money when they win a medal or to send it to the Olympics or it's better to invest a lot of money in developing amateur sports in a country mm-hmm. so you can have a better field for the normal random average person to go jog to go play basketball football you know in a proper field in my opinion for small countries it's better to invest more in developing amateur sports and well you'd, you'd hope that one would feed into the other like I think that's one and thing eventually yes one would feed into the other but the yeah. thing is that it would take a lot of time and it's not good for branding you know? mm. it's not good for governmental image you yeah. want to have people who have won medals now you want as a prime minister to make a photo with this Olympian you know like, yeah. look during my time we had five gold medals from the Olympic Games yeah I suppose so just you like I guess the success stories of countries or cities that have hosted the olympics have been ones where the facilities have gone on to serve the public afterwards and i think that's something that the london 2012 olympics did really well is that the the country invested a lot in the facilities for the olympics as most nations do but then they actually were used afterwards yeah which is a rare case yeah barcelona is the best case in that that as a city revived after the olympics like the olympics barcelona is what is barcelona now because of the olympics in 92 wow like because of that because of all the facilities because of all the popular of all the branding mm-hmm. it is what it is now because of the olympics other cities like athens they i think that they couldn't use this push that the olympics gave them you know mm. effectively um, yeah now you walk through the ruins of the old yeah. site and it's just yeah it's just like a husk there's a couple of people who do archery there i think i think that's it like yeah. i don't, but Nikki, how are the Olympics perceived in Greece? Is the society following them a lot? Are Greeks very passionate about their Olympian athletes? Yes, actually they are. I don't think they constantly watch the Olympic Games, but they sure follow and watch the Greek athletes, the major Greek athletes. Yeah. And of course, there to support also, as we said before, the athletes that lost. However, what I am a little disappointed of is that Paralympic athletes have not uh, the recognition okay. gain uh, the recognition that they deserve. Yeah, I think it's the same in all countries. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel very lucky that this job gave me the opportunity to learn the stories and the names of people uh, of Paralympic athletes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. that's very nice. So you also tell the story about them. Yes, yes. Mm. That's very nice. Yeah, because I don't think even the Paralympic Games are shown on TV as the not Olympics. to the extent. Yeah. yeah, I think you can watch them, but. Not yeah. on, like, the major channels. But I would say that I think they're more inspiring. Mm. A success there is For more sure. inspiring. For sure, they are more yeah. inspiring, yeah. yeah. Look, the nice thing about the Olympics is, of course, it holds this, you know, long-standing tradition, but at the end of the day, it brings us together. It's about, 
unity, sportsmanship, companionship, and, you know, there's never a time in the world when that's not needed. And if we can say that, I think we really need it right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, actually, I agree with this. And also history uh, has given us many beautiful examples about sportsmanship and friendship during Olympic Games. A very interesting story about fair play as a universal value is the friendship between J.C. Owens, uh, who was an Afro-American athlete, participated in Berlin 1936 Olympics um, with Lutz Long, a German athlete, Their friendship is a lesson for humanity because despite the fact that Hitler wanted to use the games as a propaganda for the Nazi ideology, uh, this friendship was uh, something very inspiring and beautiful. So the the German athlete Lutz Long helped J.C. Owens to make it to the finals even though uh, Lutz Long was also an athlete in the same sport. It's called high jump. Lutz Long helped him and he, uh, J.C. Owens won four medals and, JC, and uh, Lutz Long won the, the second place. Okay. So it is a very beautiful story. They became friends for many years until World War II where uh, Lutz Long was sent in the front lines uh, and he died there. Just to lighten the mood before we finish, um, fun fact from ancient Greece. So as Nikki said, Greeks only competed in the games with a few exceptions, one of which was the Emperor Nero. Oh yeah, didn't he like win everything? (laughs) (laughs) He knew that he could not compete and therefore win Olympic sporting events. So he made acting, singing, and poetry part of the Olympics. <laughs> and therefore subsequently won. Of course he did. Nero. Of course he did. That's Nero. We just want to say a massive thank you to our first and best guest ever, Nikki. Thank you so much for being here today. You've been a star and we have learned so much about the Olympics. Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. You are wonderful people. And uh, I had such a nice time discussing with you. I want to thank you, actually, for giving me the chance to share my knowledge. And also that I'm looking forward to have you in the museum to learn about the history of the Olympic Games. Of course. Yes. Book us in next weekend. (laughs) We're there. (laughs) And if you guys are ever down in Athens, be sure to check it out. And as always, if you want to get in touch with us, feel free to reach out to us on our social media platforms. That's at Monuments Museums on Twitter and Instagram and with the podcast's full name on Facebook. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.